Before the End England Before 1066 In this revision podcast, we're going to have a little look at the throne of England before 1066, when it's still an Anglo-Saxon kingdom. And that's going to require us to have a little look at the relationship between Anglo-Saxon England and its neighbours, Normandy and Denmark and Norway. But also to dig into the relationship between the king, Edward, and his earls, the noble families that make up the backbone of the ruling class of Anglo-Saxon England. Before you listen to this podcast, it is very, very important that you are familiar with the names of the people that we're dealing with and the family relationships. It's going to be very useful if you have a family tree in front of you while you are listening to what we're talking about. So, Anglo-Saxon England... At the top, you have the king, he's in charge. Underneath him, you have the nobles. The most important of these are the earls. Underneath them, you have the thanes. The earls, certainly the most important ones, belong to large houses, families. The two most important of these are the House of Godwin, which controls most of the south of England, and the House of Leofric, which controls most of the north of England. The most important earls serve alongside the bishops, because remember, at this point, Anglo-Saxon England is a Christian country, it's no longer pagan. The bishops and the earls together make up the Witan, which is the advisory council which supports the king. It's a fairly large repository of power, especially when the king is weak. And as you're going to see as we go through this, the king that we're talking about here is not exactly strong. So what was England like before 1066? Well, the north was sparsely populated. The south was relatively densely populated. There's about two million people in total, and the vast majority of these are in the south, the richer, more well-off lands, the ones owned by the Godwin family. There's an awful lot of forested areas in the south, a few areas of which have been cleared to provide villages. The country is very wealthy. It has a sophisticated coinage system. Coins are minted with the king's head shown on them. And there's trade, an awful lot of trade with places all over the world. Trade goods have been found from Arabic countries, from Scandinavian countries from the Mediterranean and North Africa. So there's a great deal of trade coming in to England. It is a wealthy country and it is a prize worth having. So where are we in the run-up to 1066? The king on the throne is King Edward, generally known as the Confessor. He is a very religious man. He is deeply committed to his faith probably more so than he is to being king. He was never really supposed to be king. He was actually the younger brother, but we'll get to that in a second. The defining thing about Edward's reign is his relationship with the Godwin family. 
in order to unpick this we're going to have to rewind a little bit and look at how Edward ended up on the throne and how that was influenced and in turn did influence his relationship with the Godwins. We begin with Edward's mother, Emma of Normandy. Now, she comes from Normandy, which is an area of northern France, settled in 911 by Viking raiders. So it's a relatively young kingdom, and the Normans have a fairly rambunctious reputation in Europe. They do like a bit of a fight, and it's often a violent place. They're currently at war with their neighbours. But Emma, who is the sister of the Duke of Normandy, is married off to the King of England, Ethelred. And she has two sons, Alfred, the elder, and Edward, the younger. The younger son, Edward, will become Edward the Confessor in time. In 1016, King Ethelred of England dies and is replaced on the throne by King Canute, who is also the King of Norway and the King of Denmark. Emma sends her sons, Alfred and Edward, away to be safe, and quite naturally, the place she chooses to send them to be safe is to her brother in Normandy. So Edward and Alfred grow up in Normandy, in a French court surrounded by nobles of Normandy. They feel comfortable there and they feel safe there. In the meantime, Emma marries King Canute and she has a son with him, Harthur Canute. Now the deal that she makes with Canute is quite simple. Her two surviving sons from her first marriage, Alfred and Edward, will be left safe and unmolested in Normandy. She will support Canute and his claim to the throne as long as he ensures that their son together, Harthur Canute, inherits the throne of England upon the death of Canute. The reason this is important is that Canute has another son from his previous marriage called Harold. And Emma does not want him to inherit the throne of England. She wants her son on the throne. Canute dies in 1035. And Harold seizes the throne of England, basically because he's there and Harthur Canute isn't. Harthur Canute takes the throne of Denmark but Harold becomes King Harold I of England. Harthur Canute comes back and, with the assistance of his mother, attempts to take the throne. She summons his two half-brothers, Alfred and Edward, back from Normandy to help Harthur Canute. Some of the earls of England are on Harthur Canute's side and some of the earls of England are on Harold's side. One of the earls of England who is on Harold's side is Earl Godwin, Earl of Wessex. And when Alfred lands in England to come to the support of Harthur Canute, he is captured by Earl Godwin's men. He is turned over to Harold's men, where he dies of his injuries. It's fairly clear from the sources that we have access to that Alfred is quite vigorously tortured before he dies. We're certain that at the very least his eyes are ripped out. In either case, 
Alfred is dead, and the blame for his death can to an extent be laid at the door of Earl Godwin. Edward comes back to the country and helps his half-brother, Hartha Canute, take control of the country. And eventually, Hartha Canute becomes King of England. He's not on the throne for very long, however, before he dies. Most sources agree that the way he dies is he drinks himself to death at a wedding. He dies mid-pint, which I suppose, if you've got to pick a way to go, is as good as any. Edward, who has been one of his right-hand men over the short period of his reign, inherits the throne and becomes King of England. Now, Edward, who came to support Hartha Canute in his attempt to take up the throne from Harold, brought with him some Norman nobles that he grew up with and were his friends and supporters from Normandy. And it is only natural that when he becomes king in 1042, he puts those Norman nobles in positions of power and authority. This does not sit well with a great deal of the English nobles chief among them, Earl Godwin. This causes ructions between the king and the leading earls of the country. This gathers pace and becomes more vigorous and more violent until eventually in 1051 Earl Godwin and his sons are exiled. They come back in 1052 armed to the teeth and ready for a war. Edward is more or less ready to face them until he realises that most of the English earls are actually on Godwin's side. And the reason they're on Godwin's side is that they're no fonder of the idea of Norman nobles being put into positions of power and authority over them than Godwin was. So Edward realises that he can't actually fight Godwin because he won't win. There is some negotiation and some back and forth, and eventually a settlement is reached. And the settlement is this. Godwin kneels before the king, apologises and seeks his forgiveness. The king grants his forgiveness, and in a show of friendship and joy, agrees to marry the daughter of Godwin. No one, of course, is fooled by this for a moment. It's very obvious that there has been a seismic shift in the power in Anglo-Saxon England. Edward is no longer the driving force. It is now Godwin. Edward marries Edith Godwin, Godwin's daughter, and Godwin's other sons are put in positions of power. In some cases, this works quite well. Harold Godwinson, now the eldest son, does very well as the Earl of Wessex. Tostig, one of the Earl's younger sons, is placed in position as Earl of Northumberland, and that doesn't work quite so well. The northern thanes rise up against him, and they call in Morcar, one of the Earls, to try and overthrow him. Word comes down south, and Edward turns to Harold. Now, at this point, by about 1060, Harold Godwinson is acting as subregulus, and that's a term that basically means deputy king and Harold goes north and something very interesting happens all the way through this period Earl Godwin the father of Tostig and Harold Godwinson had always put the interests of his family and the interests of the house of Godwin over everything else 
that was always the driving force behind everything that he did. But now Harold goes north, and faced with the decision between his brother, Tostig, who is an awful earl, absolutely incompetent, totally useless, and the rebellious Thanes and Morcar, on the other hand, he sides with Morcar and the northern Thanes, and he exiles Tostig from England. And the reason this is interesting is because it shows you Harold Godwinson acting not like the head of the House of Godwin, but more like someone who has the best interests of England at heart. It's also worth understanding that this simple act actually secures for Harold Godwinson the loyalty of the northern nobles. So now not only does he have his power base in the south, where the House of Godwin has traditionally always been incredibly strong and dominant, but now he can count on the support of the northern earls and the northern thanes as well, and that puts him in an incredibly strong position in terms of the support of the Witan. By the time we reach around 1065, you're in a situation where King Edward is on the throne, but he is obviously ailing. Harold Godwinson is subregulus, deputy king, and is acting very much in a kingly fashion with the best interests of the state at heart. And the throne and the House of Godwin have reached a kind of equilibrium but there are still other groups who have a possible claim on the throne of England. There is the Duke of Normandy, who is related to the King of England through Emma of Normandy. And then there is the throne of Denmark and Norway, which is connected to the throne of England through King Canute and Harold. None of this will be a problem, of course, as long as Edward produces an heir. The problem is that he doesn't produce an heir. Whether the marriage is consummated with Edith Godwin or not is a matter of some debate. There's some sources which say that Edward was too pious and holy to engage in that sort of thing. There's a school of thought that politically he didn't want to produce uh, an heir. And then there's also just the possibility that one or both of them was infertile. In any case, it doesn't matter. What matters is that there is no heir to the throne of England. And the person who is best placed to take advantage of this is Harold Godwinson. On the 5th of January, 1066, Edward the Confessor dies, and a Godwin is finally in a position to take the throne of England. So the key things that you have to remember from all of that in order to prepare for your exam are quite simple. You have to remember the relationship between Edward the Confessor and the House of Godwin. You need to remember the relationship between Edward and Normandy. And you have to think about the position of Harold Godwinson by the time you reach the end of Edward's reign. Thank you very much for listening and good luck in your exams.